Sorry, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm hyper alert to my text right now. I'm sorry. So I'm just, just and this is nothing related. This was something totally unrelated to what I'm watching for, as you all know. So um, sin is a failure to conform to the standard of God. Now, this is the ideal that we're most familiar with. This is the ideal of uh, harmartia. Uh, and that is the idea of missing the mark, right? And this is, this is a prevalent, in fact, if I remember right, this may be the most prevalent New Testament usage. I may be wrong, but I think this is the most uh, used word to describe sin. But it means to miss the mark. And so you think about um, yesterday, for instance, Brock was hunting for deer close by and he shot and he hit the mark. He killed a doe, if I remember right. Isn't that right? Yeah, killed a doe. Uh, it's Bambi's mom, and uh, it's real sad and all. Um, they made a movie about it, right? And it just—it's a tearjerker, but it's a true story. Okay, so so Brock is the instigator of that story. So there you go. Uh, and obviously, I just embellished all of those things. Some would say I lied and missed the mark right there, but but he shot and he hit the mark. The word comes from an old usage of when archers would shoot, and if they would miss the bullseye, they would say sin. Because it literally means to miss the ideal, to miss the standard, to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. And that is a great word to talk about sin. And that's, again, that's the most common word, hamartia. And there's some variations of that. But um, it's every departure from the way of righteousness. Now think about that for a second. Missing the mark. If God's got a standard, everywhere we hit beside that standard, no matter how close or how far away, it's all sin. Does that make sense? And so if, if you're like me... At least maybe you used to be this way. Um, you, you've probably compared yourself to other people in this way. Well, I, I know I messed up, um, Pastor, but, but, but you weren't there. And Shane did way worse than I did. You, you should, if you were just there, you would know how bad Shane was. Shane did, and then I would list what Shane did. Any of you ever guilty of doing that? Huh? Yeah, I, I think we've probably all done that to some degree. Uh, comparing ourselves sin-wise to other people, right? Um, well, yeah, I, I know I know, I may like soccer too much, but I don't like it as much as Corey. I mean, Corey's all about soccer, and, and, and I know it could be an idol, but that's, that, that, that's, that's kind of this thing that we think is okay, and it's not. If, if, if I'm idolizing this much, and someone else is idolizing Whoa, this much, it's all idolatry. Does that make sense? It's all missing the mark. Now, could there be consequences? And that's what we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Could there be variation of consequences between this person who just sins slightly, maybe missing the mark, and this person who greatly misses the mark, some grotesque sin? Obviously, there are variations of, of consequences, right? The fallout's different, but it's all missing God's standard. It's all worthy of condemnation for us. Doesn't matter how far off base we are. So a white lie, a black lie. It's all lies, right? It's all lies. Well, I told that white lie, and uh, some of us were having a conversation about lying and not doing it, and it was great. That was a great testimony I heard from, I'll just pick on her, in a good way, Lindsay. Not wanting to lie to her children. Like, that's admirable. That's great. You know, praise God for that, right? Because I'm sure several of us have probably been guilty of telling white lies to our kids in the past to spare their feelings or to help them in some way. But guess what? We still, here's the mark. And we've told a white lie, we still miss the mark. Does that make sense? It's truth or it's not truth. That's all there is. There's not a degree in that regard. 
Okay? So it's all missing the mark. So we fail to conform to his way of righteousness. So again, hamartia, missing the mark. It's any and every departure from the way of righteousness. Now think about your day today. And, um, uh, okay, try not to. Okay, so, so I, I mean, I, my recorder was playing back my day today. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if I want to finish this, this question now. But, but as, you, as you replay the reel in your mind today. How many of us missed the mark today? I mean, I did. I confess, I did. I did. But I didn't do it as bad as Josh. No, no, see, that's wrong. I just sinned again. Oh, I missed the mark again. But I did. I did. I I fell short today. I missed the mark. And it's a, a departure from every way of righteousness. Every way of righteousness. So, it means that all people have missed the mark of God's standard and continue to fall short of that standard. Romans 3.23, we know it. All have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Remember, that's our standard of life. We talked about Sunday, right? Soli Deo Gloria, living for the glory of God. That's our goal. And so when I fail to conform to his standard, I am robbing God of his glory and I'm falling short. Now, again, this involves two types of sins. The sins of commission, where I intentionally sin against God or others. And we're going to talk about that. Sinning against God and against others. Or the sins of omission, where I fail to do something that I should do. Does that make sense? I think all sins fall into those two two major categories. And so, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And so, we sin by committing or omitting. Doing what we should not do or not doing what we should do. So, failure to do what is right is also sin. We know the good we ought to do, but fail to do it. Paul talks about that too, right? Romans 14, 23. Romans 14, 23 says, He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating. His eating, excuse me, is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, in, in this context, you know, are we eating food sacrificed to idols or not? Some people think it's sinful. One man's conscience allows him to do that. And so, I mean, it's like Halloween. I mean, just, you know, worshiping the devil, that's sin. That's pretty obvious, Right? Your kid's dressing up, I'm sorry, your kid's dressing up in a costume, that's not sin necessarily. It could be, but your conscience may be clear for that, right? Your conscience may condemn you of that. Either of those things, it's according to conscience, could be sin for us. But just because someone puts on a costume on October 31st, how is that different from doing a dress-up day at school on, you know, March the 13th or whatever? It's no different. It's heart, right? It's intent. It's what's behind it. Now, obviously, if you're making sacrifices to the devil, we got a problem, okay? But short of that, I think conscious is going to be our judge and our guide. Amen? Amen. And so we have to be careful. We have to be very careful. So in this ideal about eating food sacrificed to idols, you know, this is, this is kind of what's, what's going on here. Um, he, he, is, he is speaking to, to that uh, type of ideal in Romans 14, 23. And so we have to be careful. Let our conscience, guided by the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God, be our guide. Be our guide. Um, it's so funny. And again, I know we have people in our congregation who fall on both sides of like the Halloween thing. And, and that's fine. That's a conscious thing. Uh, I don't condemn anyone who disagrees with me about that. I, I promise you I don't. <clears throat> mostly. Um, no, I don't. I promise I don't. But, but it seems like at this time of the year, about the first, second week of October, you start seeing all of the paganism stuff. All of those things about... And, and there's a lot of paganism. There, there is. But the ultimate roots of, 
of, of Halloween, I don't believe are paganistic. I think they began after the flood. I think there's a pretty good timeline historically. We have a little track about it for Answers in Genesis that spells it out pretty good. Um, just like today or tomorrow is the day of the dead. Um, it's all those, all, every culture has a thing that traces back. And you, you can, you can trace it back to the flood when everybody died. Not everybody. Almost everybody died except for eight people, right? Uh, and you began to see these practices. Now, obviously, some of the practices are pagan and dark and wrong and sinful, clearly. But uh, I don't know anybody at any of the churches that do fall fests or trunk retreats that, that are being paganistic in their practices. And so we have to be careful. Allow our conscience according to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Here's another thing to think about with sin. Sin's a principle within man. Sin is not only an act, but it's also a principle that dwells in humanity. And Paul refers to this struggle himself about his own sin that he, he dealt with in Romans 7. And this is a little bit lengthier. So look at Romans 7, starting at verse 17. Romans 7, beginning at verse 17. And I got to tell you, I love this passage. I'm so thankful that this is in the Scripture. Because this, this, this keeps me from being so depressed about my own walk. Wrongfully. I should be concerned when I'm living in an unrighteous way, obviously, but, but in an ungodly way. So Romans 7, 17 through 25. So now, Paul says, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Can you relate to that? You want to do, oh, but you, you fall short. Right? I, I get it. I get it. This is, this is me. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I don't want. Meaning, I don't want to do. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It, on, on a light reading, that may sound like a cop-out. But he's not copping out. He, keep, keep reading. He says, I find in the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Now, now, notice this. The law of God, and now I'm concurring with it inside me, in myself. Does that make sense? But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So when the Bible talks about law, it's not always just Moses' law and the Ten Commandments. We have to understand that. And some people don't make those divisions. The law of sin right? The law of righteousness, the law of Christ in the New Testament, different from the law of God. Amen? Uh, the law of Moses. The, it's God's law, obviously, but different from the Ten Commandments. It's different concepts, different ideas. Paul's talking about the struggle with some of these things. And so, um, uh, where do I leave off? But I see a different, let's start at 23 again. I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Do you ever say that about yourself? Uh, wretched woman that you, you know, right, I am. Wretched man that I am. I mean, wretched woman that she is. That's, be careful as a husband. Be very careful of that. That's, I, I, I can't condone that, right? I want to. The flesh is willing here, right? But the spirit says, no. I'm just going to flip off that, right? No. Oh, morimoto. Come on, Brock. Um, morimoto. Oh, piccolini. Whatever that is we used to say, right? Um, mercy. Yeah, Craig, come on now. It's a wretched man that I am. That's enough. Whoa. Or no, it's not whoa. Who will set me free? Let me start over. I'm just plum tickled now. Wretched man that I am. Who... 
Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I just want to amen right now. Amen. So then, on the one hand, I myself uh, with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. That's that battle that we as Christians have. The new nature, the old nature. And I know some people struggle with that terminology. But, but if you still sin, Christian, that's a reality for you. Okay, and let me rephrase that a little bit better. When you still sin, Christian, that's the reality. The old nature and the new nature. Old man, new man. And I, I know there are some who think that there's just one new nature. And there is one new nature, but that doesn't necessitate the um, disintegration of that old man. Paul tells us clearly here. He still wrestles with that old man. That's the idea, idea here. Yes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord for the, for the new creation that we are. Only a Christian can battle this way. Does that make sense? Only a Christian, Christian, only a Christian struggles. That was a ramming together all those words. Only a, uh, when, before I knew Jesus, I didn't struggle with my sin. I enjoyed it. And I sinned good, right? Ask my mom. <laughs> She'll tell, please don't tell them, but she could tell you, right? But now my sin hurts. It hurts me. It hurts those around me. I recognize that. That hurts me more. And, and it hurts God. And that hurts me the, the most. I didn't do that before I had the new nature. And, and you didn't either. So it's this principle within us. And, and all people have the sin nature. We're going to talk more about that next week. But Galatians 3.22 says this. Galatian, Galatians 3.22. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It's shut up everyone under sin. Who is under sin? Everyone is under sin. And that's really the ideal. He's building from there. Sin's been described, this principle's been described as the power that deceives men and leads them to destruction, Hebrews 3, 13. Jesus referred to sin as a condition or characteristic quality, meaning a quality from within, our character, right? Which comes from our nature. Old or new, those things can still be true. John 9, 41. Let me just give you a few verses where Jesus talks about this. John 9, 41. John 15, 24. John 15, 24, John 19, 11. John 19, 11. So sin is that principle within. Next, fourth thing, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is rebellion against God. And I think we know this too. This is pretty familiar to us probably. Um, but again, if you're like me, this um, is probably taken a little bit light, more lightly than it should be by us. So um, what's the Greek word? Um, Anonomia. Anonomia. It means lawlessness. And so, um, lawlessness. Anonomia. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. That's rebellion. And sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4 tells us. So, lawlessness. But that idea of lawlessness alone, they're playing a game, I think, is what you're hearing. Okay, okay. I was just making sure you, you weren't worried. Okay, sorry. Oh, he's going to go play too. All right. So, um, go beat them. Uh, sin is um, this principle within. And again, this condition is characteristic. And so now sin is rebellion against God. Anonomia, lawlessness. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. For sin is lawlessness. It can be described as a frame of mind and it denotes our deeds that are lawless. And, and you think about, I mean... I don't know if you're warped like me, but when I think about lawlessness, I always think about the Wild West kind of stuff. I don't know if that genre of film, uh, you got the man in white, you got the man in black, right? The one in white, 
typically the good guy, the man in black, the bad guy. Unless you're talking about Johnny Cash, and then you've got to reverse that, okay? He's the man in black, but uh, isn't that right? Um, but they get out, it's high noon, okay, right? And you hear the spurs, you see the, there you go, there you go. You see the tumbleweeds going across, right? Someone's running for cover, and it makes them flinch because, you know, there's a kid running off down the alley or something like that. You see that in all those old westerns. And then they face off, right? They face off, and we root for the who? Usually, yeah, we, the, the, the good guy. Right, we, we should be rooting for the good guy. Those films are set up to make us want to root for the good guy, okay? The other guy, he's lawless. He's, he's disobeying. He's, 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 you know, he's, he's chewing tobacco and spitting on the floor. And, and women and children have to walk there. And that's just wrong, right? And uh, he's gambling. He's playing poker. And he's, he's got his pistol. He puts his pistol on the table when someone looks at him wrong. He's just a bad guy. I mean, I, I just remember those, those kind of emotions and, and all watching those things, you know, this week. And, and uh, when I was younger, when I was younger. But it's rebellion. The rebellious one is the bad guy. But it's somewhere in our culture... We started changing that, that stereotype, didn't we? And we started making the rebel the good guy. The one who bucked the system now was the good guy. And in certain ways, I mean, we might say that if, if the law is going to make us sin against God, then obviously we need to rebel in that way. But that's not really what society was trying to teach us. They were teaching us to break the law, right? As long as it favored them and some, whoever's making, you know, us, asking us to do these things, all those things. But suddenly rebellion became cool. Greece. Think about Greece. John Travolta, man in black, right? Right? He's the rebel. He does his little walk and his dance. And that was a horrible illustration. I'm sorry I even did that. It just came out. Uh, oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, uh, I was fixing to do the voice, but I was, all I can think about now is uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. I don't know if y'all remember... Yeah, yeah, I won't do that. But uh, some of y'all remember Welcome Back, Cotter? Okay. Yeah, Barbarino, yeah. V Vinny? Vinny Barbarino, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness, my mind is just racing now. But, but all of a sudden now, the rebel is the good guy. Rebel without a cause. I mean, we're, 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 we're idolizing now rebellion. And we still see that in our society. Look at the music today. And it's not just rap music before someone throws that out there. I mean, that's... huh? That's a big part, but the whole rock and roll culture was rebellion. I mean, think about Elvis as, as um, G-rated as we consider Elvis to be now, probably, compare, comparatively speaking, right? Elvis, his whole persona was rebellion. Rebellion against the norm in his day. And, I mean, if you're unsure, look at the old, look at the old reels, the old film of the women. Look how they responded when he started shaking and gyrating. I'm not going to do that when he started doing those things. Look at the response, right? But that, that bad boy all of a sudden became the one that we look to and idolize. Folks, that's rebellion. And that whole ideal, folks, that's natural to us, isn't it? It's natural to us. It's natural. But sin is rebellion against God. And in our unsaved state, that is our natural frame of mind. That's who we are. That's who we are. But that's not who we're supposed to be. Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14. Talking about the Lord who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. I mean, think about, think about who you were before Christ. I did things for, that benefited me mostly. That was nice. And I was in high school, I was in student government and all those things. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I would help um, 
you know, people that were in a wheelchair or something, I'd help them walk to class and all. But, but I mean, some of that maybe was selfless. I, I, I don't know. But I didn't know Jesus. And, and, and I knew, and, and I'll confess right now, I know that some of that meant I got to get out of class early, right? And so that was part of the motivation of doing those things. And I'm just, just being honest. That's not a righteous deed, right? That's not a righteous deed. And, and we're to be righteous and, and be zealous for righteous deeds, good things. And you think about after you came to Christ and you have the opportunity to do good for someone. Don't you want to do it? And don't you feel bad, Shane, when you can't do it? Sometimes too much, maybe, but, right? You want to help. You want your brother to be okay. You want your sister to be okay. You want to meet a need when you can. That's because of Christ in us, amen? We're different. We're changed. Our frame of mind, our frame of reference is different. We have that new nature now. We see that in the last days, and we're in the last days, and we're getting closer to the last day of at least what we might call recorded history. Matthew 24, 12 says, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Is that happening today? Absolutely. It's just going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Postmillennialism is blatantly wrong. The world's not going to get better before Jesus comes back. The Bible says emphatically, over and over again, it's going to get worse. The love of men will grow cold. So, and... and so we need, we need to be about righteous things. Lastly, I was fixing to jump ahead to something from next week, but we'll save it. Lastly, sin is wrongful acts toward God and man. Wrongful acts. And again, sounds like a no-brainer. We understand that. Sin is wrong. It's doing wrong. But it's wrongful acts against God and man, toward God and toward man. Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we're suppressing the truth of God. We're sin against God. And, and if you, you remember Romans 1, right? What do, what do we read in Romans 1? We've, we've, we, we go on to, to do what? To worship images, right? We go on to pervert our relationships, Romans 1 tells us. And it just it doesn't get better from there. It gets worse. We have no excuse because we know God. He's the creator. He has invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature. They're clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. We knew God. We did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him as God. But we became futile in our speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Think about futile speculations today. Evolution, atheism, agnostic, agnosticism. Right? Think, think about it. I mean, it's foolish speculations. Claiming that we know everything there is to know so we can definitively say there's no God. Yeah. Yeah, I've been waiting for me all my life, right? I mean, how? I mean, that sounds so silly, but that is our attitude. That is the attitude of the world. And it just gets worse. We get, we're given over to our lust, impurity, dishonoring uh, God in our bodies. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the image, the creation, having degrading passions, exchanging the natural function for the unnatural. Talking about homosexuality and, and other perversions of God's standard, His idea. And it just gets worse from there. That's the world we find ourselves in today. That's the world we're in. Wrongful acts toward God and toward man. Someone sins against us. 
What does our flesh desire to do? Get even. Get them back. Right? Well, Scotty did this to me yesterday, so I'm going to do this to him today. That's sin. Right? Retribution belongs to who? To God. But we're so quick. Oh, I'm not condemning him to hell or anything, but I'm going to get him back. We may not say it, but we feel it, don't we? And sometimes we just picking on Scotty, but we act upon those things. Wrongful acts toward God, wrongful acts toward our fellow man. So think about this. Go to Exodus 20. Let's finish up here. We're almost done. Let's look at, at the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. <clears throat> I want to read these first 11 verses. Just follow along with me. And then we'll, we'll look at five more verses shortly thereafter. But Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Who is God talking to in this moment? Israel. It's on the people of Israel, right? They were in captivity in Egypt, right? He's let them out. He brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of that which is in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the water, underneath the earth, under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I... Yahweh, your God, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Can I just interject here? This is not generational curses as it's wrongly talked about today. Just get that out of your mind. This is not how that's defined today. Um, but let's, we can come back to that. He says, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You should, verse 7, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. For the Lord, for Yahweh, will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now, does that just mean saying uh, God's name is a cuss word? No, it's way broader than that. When I live for me, guess what I'm doing? Guess what I'm doing? I'm taking God's name in vain, right? Any, any time I sin as a Christian, I'm taking God's name in vain. It may not be cussing. It could be any sin. I'm taking God's name in vain. I'm not living up to the name that's over me. I mean, it's much broader than, than, than we often, often say. Um, where do we leave off? Uh, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do we have to remember the Sabbath day today? Was the Sabbath reiterated in the New Testament? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. The principle still a good, good principle though? Absolutely. We need to rest. We need to focus on God. We need a time that we set aside to focus on God. That principle is absolutely still worthwhile today. Um, six days you shall labor and do all your work. I know sometimes in our society, sometimes you have to work 30 days in a row before you get a day off. 28 days maybe before you get a day off. I mean, Brock's been just under the gun. It seems, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I mean, your work schedule's been pretty brutal for a while. You've just now been off this week for the first time in a while, it seems like. Uh, and, and so many others. I, I remember when I used to work shift work. Every other month we were on call. That meant we would work. Out of 28 days, we would work like 27 of those days. You got the day off between your, uh, like when you got off of days and you had to start nights the next day. So you had that whole day, you know, at the end of 6 p.m. until 6 p.m. the next day. So that's really not off. You're sleeping and resting and making a lunch. But otherwise you worked. You're forced on call. It's, it's hard to do that. And so I, I get that. Um, we don't choose to do that necessarily. Right? Sometimes we have to for a limited time, but the ideal is that we need to rest. Verse 10, the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, uh, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Right, The traveler who, who you put up. 
For in six days the Lord made, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, ungodliness refers to man's failure to obey God and to keep the commandments related to him. We see that in verses 1 through 11, right? That's the idea. And then what did man do to those commandments, those Ten Commandments? We added, you know, 20 more for every one. We, you know, commandment one, subpoint A, you know, one, two, three, under that, B, one, two, three, we added all these things as if we could even keep the ten bare necessity, uh, bare necessity, the, the, the bare minimal of, that's a song, I think. Okay, sorry. Um, I, I, since, since I was sick these last few weeks, I have had such brain fog, my mind just jumps like crazy. It's just been uh, surreal up here. But yes, bare necessity, thank you. Okay, so um, ungodliness. Failure to obey and keep the commandments. Now, here's another thing. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land that the Lord your God gives. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, or uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So here we see unrighteousness is seen in man's failure to live righteously toward his fellow man. Right? So we've got commandments about us and God, vertical relationship, commandments about us and our fellow man, a horizontal relationship. Jesus summarized it in the New Testament. Love God with all your soul and strength. Right? It's recorded two different ways there in the Gospels. I think Matthew and Mark, maybe, if I remember right. Uh, how they record them differently. Uh, and then, love your neighbor as yourself, right? This is all the law summarized. It's basically what Jesus says and what the gospel writers record. So, failing to uphold God's standard as it relates to Him, failing to uphold God's standard and live righteously toward um, our fellow man. So, John Bunyan said this, Sin is the dare of God's justice, the rape of His mercy, the jeer of his patience and the slight of his power, the contempt of his love. That's beautiful, the way it's worded. But man, it just cuts to the core, doesn't it? Don't we do that? We dare God when we sin intentionally. I dare you to exercise judgment against me. We may not say it, but that's what we're doing, don't we? When I intentionally sin, I dare you, right? It's like the Clint Eastwood movie. You know, make my day. We don't, we don't really want that. Do we? We can't handle that. Thank God for Jesus. We couldn't handle that. The rape of His mercy. When I sin intentionally, that's what I'm doing. The jeer. I'm laughing. The jeer of His patience. Oh, God is so long-suffering. He'll never judge me for that. That's what we're doing. We laugh in His face. The slight of His power. He's not strong enough to do anything. The contempt of His love. When I, when I sin against God, I spur the love of God that He has towards us. And so when we begin to think in John Bunyan language, I think that gets a little more, in, in, at least for me, it gets personal all of a sudden. Those words, those sting. They sting. The Scripture stings. But those words, just there's just something about them. And so that's sin in a nutshell, basically. Five different ways of looking at and defining aspects of sin. There are others, at least like 13, 14 other terms. And so... We'll, we'll pick up on some more of those over the next couple of weeks. But, but let's, tonight, um, the kids are going to come. And they're going to share something that they learned tonight. Um, but before they do, let's pray. 
And let's thank God for salvation. Let's thank God for um, the forgiveness of our sins, but also even as Christians, the fact that he still forgives us when we, when we fall short. Amen? Let's thank him for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Christ given, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, given for our sins, for our unrighteousness, the just one for the unjust, us. Thank you, Father. You gave Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become your righteousness. Thank you for those words, those powerful words of Scripture, Lord God. And I thank you for the way you saw fit to have the writers of Scripture, some 40 authors of Scripture, use some, um, you know, 14, 15, 16, various words, 20 various words to describe what sin is helping us to see it in three dimensions and beyond to really feel the weight of the offense that we commit against you. Father, you are merciful. You are gracious. May we not sneer, Father, at what you have done and at your patience of us. So be merciful. Be gracious towards us. Be patient with us. Help us to be holy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.